for all to hear. Praise God. And we're going to do that Saturday. You don't want to miss that. That'll be a blast. But I want to start this message today, and I'm going to use the wise men story, Matthew 2, for this week and next week. And we're going to come out of Matthew chapter 2. And I want you to know that today we're going to start the message, wise people still seek Jesus. Everybody say, wise people still seek Jesus. All right, poke your neighbor and say, Pastor's got a word for you. More than that, God's got a word for you. Amen, amen. If you will stand to your feet and uh, pull out your, your U version again, and pull it out if this is how you read your Bible. And uh, uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And I've got a word for you today in the NASB, which is the New American Standard Bible. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judah in the days of Herod the king. Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Everybody say Christmas cheer. There's the first you ever hear of it in all the world, right there in the Bible. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm going to talk about that next week. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the word you've given me and where you're taking us today. Jesus, I thank you that your name is greater than anything we'll ever face. Jesus, I thank you that you provide healing, provision, restoration, encouragement, God, everything we have need of. God, we celebrate your birth this month, God. We thank you that you came to the earth to die for us. And now, God, for the next few moments, anoint me to preach forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I pray let the seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. And I pray, God, I pray for the, for the word to just do its work in us, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. All right, hold your Bibles up. Again, if you don't have you version, you can see the ones that do. And just let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five somebody and say, wise people still seek Jesus. 
Little Johnny came into the kitchen where his mother was making dinner, and he decided it was a really good time to tell her what he wanted for Christmas. He said, Mom, I want a bicycle for Christmas. Now, Johnny was a, a rounder. He was a, he was a pretty tough, always-in-trouble kind of boy, trouble at home, trouble at school. His middle name was Trouble. And his mom, wanting to try to talk to him about this, she said, and what makes you think you deserve one? Do you think you deserve a bicycle for Christmas? Well, of course, little Johnny said, yeah, absolutely I do. Well, her being a Christian mother, she thought, well, I want him to think about his actions throughout the year. So she said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you get a pen and paper, and why don't you write God a letter and tell him what you want and why you think you deserve a bicycle for Christmas? Yeah, little Johnny got his pen, and he got his paper and stomped up the stairs, shut the door, and he started to write out letter number one. Dear God, I have been a very good boy this year. And I would like a bike for Christmas, a red bike. Your friend, Johnny. Well, Johnny knew it wasn't true, and he knew he wasn't getting anywhere with that letter, so he tore it up and threw it away, and he started on letter number two. Dear God, this is your friend, Johnny. I have been a pretty good boy this year, and I'd like a bicycle for Christmas. Well, he knew that wasn't true, tore it up, threw it away. He started on letter number three. Dear God, I've been an okay boy this year, and I want a red bike for Christmas. Johnny. Johnny knew he couldn't send this letter, knew it wasn't going to work, tore it up, threw it away. Letter number four. Dear God, I haven't been a good boy this year. I'm very sorry, but I will be a good boy if you'll give me a red bicycle for Christmas. Well, he knew although it was true, he didn't feel like he was going to get anywhere with that. And so now at this point, it has come to his conclusion he cannot rightfully defend his position on getting a nice red shiny bicycle for Christmas. He got upset at this thought. He panicked. He ran downstairs and he said, Mom, I need to go to church. Well, she's still cooking and she thinks, well, my plan worked. I got him to think about his what he's done and I got him to really get, you know, Think this through, and now he's going to go to the church just down the road, and he's going to pray it through, because he looked really sad. Well, she said, you go ahead. Well, he went down the street, walked into the church that was open, looked around, make sure nobody was looking, and he grabbed Mary from the nativity scene, put her under his shirt, ran down the street, into the house, up the stairs, shut the door, grabbed pen and paper to write letter number five. Dear God. I have your mama. If you ever want to see her again, send the bike. <laughs> and this time signed it, you know who. <laughs> yeah. Glad none of the children are here. We'll get them ideas. Johnny was seeking a new bicycle for Christmas. Have you, have you ever sought something? I mean, have you ever really sought something so bad you're just about willing to do anything to get it? Because that same fervor that Johnny wanted that red bicycle is the same fervor in which the Magi sought Jesus. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. If you're going to seek something... 
Seek Jesus. Everybody say, seek Jesus. That's point number one, seek Jesus. Now, Jesus was born in the days of Herod. The prophecy was fulfilled. The Savior had been born. And he was born, the Bible says in verse 1, during the days of of Herod. Now, Herod was appointed king or appointed the territory or appointed the... Uh, 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 as king of Judea by the Roman Senate at the recommendation of Octavian and Mark Antony. Now, let me just do a little history here for you. Um, Julius Caesar and these people were real people. As a matter of fact, Octavian, uh, better that we know him as Caesar Augustus. Luke chapter 2, when Caesar Augustus taxed all the world, that was Octavian. Octavian was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. So you didn't know Julius Caesar was actually tied to the Bible. It's not just a Shakespeare story. It's a real human being figure. His great nephew took over Octavian with Mark Antony and a couple more, and they had some civil wars going on. So Julius Caesar's killed about 12 years later. Octavian, or what we know now as Caesar Augustus, actually killed Mark Antony and Cleopatra, another real figure in history. He took over. And he ruled the world until about 14 A.D. So when Caesar Augustus taxed all the world, it was actually Octavian, the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Now they appointed Herod to be king over the territory of Israel about 37 B.C., in which he ruled all the way until after Christ was born. Now what you need to know about him is that he was cruel, Herod was a tyrant, He was a madman out of control. He killed the entire kingly line that came before him when he got appointed. I'm talking children, women, everybody. Anybody that breathed, they were all gone. He loved Roman history. He loved Roman law. He loved Roman customs. He loved to highly tax the people. And here's something a lot of people don't know. King Herod was actually not even Jewish. He was an Edomian, which means he was an Edomite. He wasn't even of Jewish ancestry, if you will. So the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. And I'm going to unpack this for you. But before I go any further, I don't want to dash your thinking about the wise men because we tend to glorify them. If you have a nativity scene at home, you have three wise men. Right? They're all dressed in robes. And we like to glorify the wise men. But let me tell you what wise men actually means. They were oriental scientists, magicians, and better known really as sorcerers. They were witches. We glorify the wise men and say, wow, they went seeking Jesus. But you have to understand, a magi were basically sorcerers, witches, psychics, horoscope people, astrologers. As a matter of fact, they were from a caste of people in Persia that were a religious caste. They were very highly looked upon. And in three categories in particular, they had their studies. One was in scientific area, which was astrology. Now, astrology is not astronomy. Astronomy is just the study of stars. Astrology is where you get divination and demon worship and all involved by the lining of the planets and the stars and all that stuff. It's very demonic. They were experts in that. They were also experts in diplomatic or wisdom things. They were also expert in religious things, and that was magical incantations, which is trying to understand present and future life. Magical incantations is basically witchcraft. So they were sorcerers, astrologers, and witches. Now, I want to just 
I just want to paint that picture because I want you to understand something. And I want anybody watching online right now to understand this. Jesus will have anybody seek him and allow him to be found by anybody, no matter what you're into or where you're at. I love that God added the Magi in this story because what he's telling us right off the bat is it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've been into. It don't matter how many years you've been on drugs, how many years you're an alcoholic or a prostitute or a witch or a sorcerer or any other thing. If you want to find Jesus and seek him, he will be found. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. When you go home today and you look at your nativity scene, you set out, you're going to see those three wise men a little different now, aren't you? <laughs> you're going to walk by and go, you sorcerers. We're not told their names. We're not told precisely where they're from. We know they're from the east. But they came asking a question that I think that we need to ask ourselves. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They never ask if there's a king. They ask where he's at. There's something about what happened to them, and I'm going to unpack this as I go, that just makes me think about how am I seeking Jesus. You see, the Gentile wise men, sorcerers, were seeking to find Jesus. That reminded me of another story that we've read in Luke 19, 2 through 4, about a man named Zacchaeus. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And I'll tell you why he's rich in a minute. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. He was a, he was a tiny guy. And the, the Bible goes on to say, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. How many of you know the song? We used to sing it in, as, in little Bible school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Come on, some of you are like, how many know that song? How many know that song? Okay. So, so here's the cool part about Zacchaeus. I, I see Dwayne giving Deanna the nudge. She's probably going, nope, he's going to call me up with a microphone. Don't do it. Interestingly enough, you have a group of sorcerers and witches that are seeking out Jesus at his birth. You have Zacchaeus, and we glorify that because we say, oh, this little tiny guy went up in a tree and he sought to see Jesus. Oh, everything's cool. He was very rich. Do you know why he was rich? He was rich because he was the godfather of his community. He was the Gestapo. He was the guy that collected all the taxes. And in those days, if the Romans said you owe $5, he could tell you you owe 50. You had no recourse. You had to pay him. Well, guess who's putting that 45 bucks in his pocket? Zacchaeus was the godfather. He was the Al Capone of his city. I find it interesting that in the Bible, just a couple little verses, God is showing us, no matter if you're into witchcraft, no matter if you're an extortioner, no matter if you're running the mob, if you want to seek Jesus, he will allow you to find him. Somebody say amen. I don't know who needs to hear that, but I want to tell you, maybe somebody watching online right now, maybe it's Tuesday morning and you're watching this. I want to tell you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you'll seek Jesus, you'll find him. Woo! 
You know, we're never stop, supposed to stop seeking Jesus. We don't seek Jesus to find him one time. we got to go after him. As a matter of fact, Psalm 63 and 1 says this, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've got a question for you today. Do you earnestly seek Jesus like this? Are you passionately going after him? Are you so hungry for the presence of God that, man, nothing will stop you? Not a soap opera on TV, not a sports game, not a social media post. Nothing will stop you from getting to the feet of Jesus Christ. Psalm 63 says it this way. My soul followeth hard after thee. It doesn't say my soul casually comes after thee. It doesn't say, well, if it's convenient for me, it will. No, it says, my soul follows hard after you. Where are the people in God's church that are so hungry for God, nothing will stop them? Where are the people that will push the plate back and say, I'm going to fast until I get breakthrough? Where are the people that are going to open the pages of the book and say, man, I'm not stopping till I hear from God? Where are the people that say, I'm going to grab a hold of the horns of the altar this Christmas until I find Jesus? Because I'm telling you, the only way we'll have Christmas cheer is to find Jesus at the center of our lives. Wise people still seek Jesus. Are you wise? Verse, here's another thing. How did they know all the way in the land of Persia that he was born? Well, it was a... It was very widely known that around the first century, in the East in particular, it was very prevalent that a ruler of the world would arise from the area of Judea. They were probably also very familiar with Balaam's prophecy from the Old Testament because Balaam, his prophecy kind of permeated through the East there, and I'm sure it was passed down from generation to generation. We read it in Numbers 24, 17 in the Old Testament. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall arise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tomal. So they had this prophecy that there was a star going to rise out of the east. They understood there was going to be a ruler come out of Israel. They was passed down and passed down. So my, my thing is, okay, well, that's how they knew there was going to be a king born there. But here's the more important question. Why did they want to get to Jesus? And here's where I've come to. Why did the wise men, why were they so desperate to get to Jesus? And I'll tell you in just a minute why it, I know they were desperate. I believe it's because they were so well-schooled in all the religions of the East. They were so well, in fact, they were the teachers of the religions of the East. And I believe they knew there was nothing there and it was just empty. I believe they knew the emptiness of the false religions that they had been grown up on, that they had been taught. I believe that they had all they could stand and said, guys, this, what is this? This false religion has gotten us nowhere. We need something real. We need something authentic. We need something real and true and honest. I don't know about you, but I don't want something fake. I don't want to just come to church on a Sunday and run through the motions. 
I don't want to just show up because it's a Sunday thing to do and that's about it and we just go home so we can say, well, I went to church today, check the list off. Uh-uh. When I come here, I come here to be in the presence of God, to worship my God with my brothers and sisters because God does stuff together in ways that he won't do by ourselves. I come to hear from God. I come to hear what God's got to say. I come to see God work in the lives of every person. I believe in something real. This Christmas, Jesus is real. Woo! It seems that they followed the star because they saw the emptiness of their own life. They saw the emptiness of all the religions they had been teaching, all the astrology, all that stuff. The incantations, the old kit and caboodle. And I believe they got together and they said, boys, this ain't doing nothing. We got to find something real. The Bible says they sought Jesus so they could worship him. The word worship there in the Greek means to crouch down like a dog or to kiss the hand of royalty. In the east, they would come, and when they would come before someone that they felt were greater than them to show reverence and honor, they would get down and touch their forehead to the ground like this. They sought Jesus to worship and honor him. I'm going somewhere with this. You see, they were wise because they sought Jesus for the right reason. They didn't seek Jesus to benefit themselves. They were already very well benefited. You have to understand, these wise men were greatly revered in the land of Persia. They were the who's who's. They were the people everyone sought wisdom from. They had all the money. They had all the fame. They had the popularity. They had people coming to them for answers, all the power. They had anything they wanted. Yet the Bible says they went to seek Jesus, not for any of that stuff, but rather to worship him. They didn't seek Jesus to earn fame. They already had it. They didn't seek Jesus for a good business contact. They didn't need it, quite frankly. They didn't see Jesus for more social media likes. They were already popular in town. They didn't seek Jesus to get anything from him. They sought Jesus for one reason. I am going to worship something and someone real. Wow. Don't seek the healing. Seek the healer. Don't seek the blessing. Seek the blesser. I find it interesting that a bunch of sorcerers and encanters... And the wise astrologers of the east said, all this is nothing. I'm going to find the real king of the universe. And when I do, I'm just going to worship. And I think we can learn a lesson from these great wise men. Because I think all too often, we go to the prayer closet with a list of things like Johnny that we want. God, give me my red bicycle. God, give me, lend me, can me, can you spare? I ain't got no underwear, right? We got all these little sayings going on. We, we come to church sometimes. And our heart and motivation isn't really to worship. Our heart isn't really to give Jesus honor. Our heart is, well, if I go to church and I'm good on Sunday, maybe on Tuesday I'll get my raise. Maybe Maybe on Wednesday I'll get the thing I want so bad. That is not what those wise men did. They went to seek Jesus. If you really want to see who Jesus is, then we got to seek him for the right reason. Roger Babson, a famous statistician, sat down with the president of Argentina and South America. 
They sat down having lunch. The president asked him, said, hey, Babson, I got a question. He said, how come do you think that South America with its great natural resources, we've got mines of copper and silver and gold and coal. We got all these copper mines, iron, you name it. We have great rivers and waterfalls that match Niagara. Why is it you feel like that South America is so far less advanced than North America? Why does North America seem so much more blessed than South America? Well, Babson, being a pretty smart guy, decided to throw the question back on him. He said, well, I don't know, Mr. President. Why do you think that's the case? Now, listen to what the president of Argentina told him. He said, I've come to this conclusion. South America was founded by the Spanish who came here in search of gold. North America was founded by the Pilgrim Fathers who went there in search of God. Why are you in church? Why are you here today? Is it to make a business contact in the foyer? Is it so that maybe if I'm good on Sunday, God will give me what I want on Tuesday? Or have you come today because you said, man, I'm going to go worship my God. Fair questions? See, the Bible says in verse 3 then, when they came and they sought him, that Herod was troubled. In the Greek, the word troubled means agitated and stirred up. Well, I reckon so. I mean, he killed his, one of his wives. He killed some of his children. If he thought anybody was against him, the former king, the dude was crazy. He'd kill anybody if he looked at him sideways because he thought, man, they're revolting against me. All of a sudden, these three sorcerers show up from all the way in the land of Persia, and they say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> I thought I was the king. You mean there's another king? Tell me when you first saw the star, and I'll start doing some deductions, and I'll kill everybody. That's basically what he was thinking. He was troubled. He was agitated. More than likely, he had heard testimony from the shepherds. Hey, there's been a babe born. And the angels began to say in heaven, and the, the skies opened, and there was angels. And man, we saw the baby. All words started spreading through town. Hey, there's a new king in town. Well, he's getting a little rifled up by this. What do you mean there's a new king? Now, all of a sudden, you got these people coming from the east. Now, he's putting two and two together, and he's thinking, somebody, a bunch of people are getting ready to die. I'm not going to have this on my watch. He had to be somewhat familiar, too, with the Old Testament prophecy. But here's the thing that puzzles me about this. Not that he's agitated. I understand that. But why is it that all of Jerusalem was agitated? Why is it they were all tore up and up in roar? And I've come to this conclusion. Because anytime the presence of Jesus shows up, religious folks get all tore up. Religious people don't like the presence of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus usually rubs religious people the wrong way. So the wise men come from the east, and they bring all these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'll talk at length about that next week, but I just have a question for you. Let's do a litmus test and see how religious you are. Suppose the town sorcerer and three witches and four psychics walk in these doors right now, and they bring a bunch of gifts and lay it at the altar and say, this is for God. And prostitutes... Drug addicts, and they lay their treasures and they say, This is for Jesus. 
if that bothers you, you're religious. Because that's exactly what the Magi did. A group of witches and sorcerers said, hey, we, we've come to worship and we want to give him gifts. Now, religious folks of today would say, oh, brother, we can't accept that because what would society say? I'm sorry, Mr. Sorcerer, we can't accept your gift for Jesus because we have standards around here. Am I bothering you? I hope I'm bothering you. I'm stirring it up to see if I can agitate a religious spirit. <laughs> they didn't like Jesus showing up, watch this, because Jesus changes the status quo anywhere he goes. So when they came and they said, hey, there's a new king in town, it got them all stirred up because now when Jesus shows up, you can't walk away the same. That's why when, when the presence of God is, is filled in a church service, you'll have some people will be very accepting. You'll have some people that'll be indifferent, and you'll have some that'll be like, I ain't never going back to that church. That church this, that church that, and they'll run the church down. You know what it is? They didn't like the presence of God getting on them because he starts messing with their lives. That's why people like a little bit of church, and they might even want to go somewhere where it's cold and indifferent, but they really don't want a red hot on fire for God church because it'll mess with their lives. It was generally known that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. I mean, John 7:42 says, "Has the scripture not said that the Christ must come from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Bethlehem being the house of bread, producing the bread of life." But they were nonchalant about it. And I want to show you there are three basic responses to those Groups of people and the birth of Christ. The first was worship. You have the wise men, they came to worship. The shepherds worship. You have a second group, which is Herod, and that's hostility. I want him dead. You have a third group, which is all of Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all of the leading people of the religious house of Jerusalem are so indifferent, they can't walk six or seven miles down the road to see if the Messiah had really come. The very one they're prophesying about has been born. The very one has shown up and they can't go six or seven miles down the road to worship. It's the same way today anytime Jesus shows up in church. You'll have some people will worship. You have some people that'll get hostile. Don't give me none of your Jesus stuff. And then you'll have people that are indifferent. Well, take some, you lose some. I can come one Sunday and I'll miss the next four. Not a big deal. It's just church. Who cares anyways? I can worship at home. I hope I'm bothering you. Some get excited about salvation. Some don't want anything to do with it. And some are indifferent. Well, yeah, I'm saved. No, listen. You are saved from a burning hell. You are saved from eternal destruction. Your sin has been washed out by the blood of Jesus. It's not to be hostile against. It's not to be indifferent. It's to be passionate and say, thank you, Jesus. Here, say, hey, hey, I got a plan here. What time did the star come? Write that down. Johnny, write that down. Then he says, hey, I'll tell you what, do. L listen to this plan. You guys go search carefully for him 
when y'all find him and worship, come back and tell me so I can worship too. But his plan is unveiled what he's really thinking. Matthew 2, 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He did calculations, added some time and said, I'll tell you what, any boy two years and younger, kill them all. And that's exactly what he did. Little did he know that God sent Jesus another route. But listen, Herod sends him to Bethlehem only six or seven miles away. Listen, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, listen, the religious people of the church had degenerated to such a degree. And they were, they were so indifferent about God and what God was doing in the time that they couldn't go six or seven miles down the road to find out for themselves if the Messiah had really come. Isn't that a great picture of America today? We have a church on every corner. We have people that can get in automobiles. Some are so fancy, they have heated seats and cooled seats. Air conditioning, climate-controlled vehicles. Look, you don't even have to sit on the hump in the back seat like I did as a kid. I'm still mad about that, Virgil and Yvonne. My brother and sister always made me sit on the hump in the back. If you're under 40, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you're over 40, you know what the hump is, right? How many knows what the hump is? You know what I'm talking about. Look, you don't even have to roll the window down anymore. You push a button and it goes down. You don't even have to pull the thing up and push your seat back anymore. You put a little button there and it goes back and forth. I mean, know what I'm talking about. We, in America, we have churches on every corner. We have people that have climate-controlled vehicles. We have people that have nice leather seats, the whole nine yards. But they can't find their way to the house of God to worship Jesus. Pastor, I can't go all the way to Harrison. That's a 40-minute drive. 55. I, I'm going to go here if it's all right with you. I can drive an hour to work. I'll drive an hour and 15 minutes for an ice cream cone. I'll take my kid two and a half hours down the road to play a game. But suddenly when church is 30 minutes or more, that's just too much, Pastor. On the least traveled day of the week. Oh, I'm going to go there. You know, in Africa right now, you have villagers that will walk 10 to 20 miles. Walk 10 to 20 miles. After church, they're walking in the nighttime where a lion could eat them. Wild animals are all over, but you couldn't stop them from going to the house of God. In China, in India, in Iran, you have Christians that have the fear of torture. They have the fear of certain death if they go worship. Listen, I preached the gospel to a group of pastors and leaders in Cambodia. When I was in Cambodia, and they told me, they shouldn't have told me, they told me just before I got there. They said, now, Pastor, we want you to know a lot of these people you're preaching to are from Vietnam. What you may not know about Vietnam is they are very, very harsh to Christianity, worse than China or any of them. They find out you're a Christian in Vietnam, you're, you're gone. They said, these people have come, some of them, a hundred miles on their bicycle because they are so hungry for God and they want to know how to lead their underground church better. Go preach to them, Dallas. Oh. It, look, you don't realize how surreal things are until you preach the gospel to a bunch of leaders who might get killed for the gospel on their way home. What do you got to say to that? I mean, really? 
Wait, I'm in my shoes. What am I going to say to these people? I need to sit down. They need to teach me. I'm not persecuted like that. You have persecution all over the world, yet these people will keep going after God. Yet in America, many people can't find their way to the house of God. But it'll be the same people will tell you, I'm a Christian and I'm serving and I'm seeking Jesus. Really? How hard? Is this okay to preach? I better keep going. How sincerely are you seeking Jesus? Not at all? Casually? With all your heart? And that leads me to point number two, and that is this. Never give up seeking Jesus. I don't have much. The last two points are not nearly as long as the first. So seek Jesus, and everybody say, never give up seeking Jesus. You see, in verse 9, the Bible says that they set out. They had already traveled a long ways. The Bible says that the star led them over to where the child was. They were persistent. They were determined. They never gave up. They sought until they would find. Why? Because these wise men were tired of status quo life, status quo religion, emptiness. They wanted something real. And I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody in person or maybe on live campus or, or wherever. Maybe you're watching by tape delay. However you're watching this, maybe I'm speaking to you and you're tired of emptiness. You're tired of trying stuff and it never fulfills and never satisfies. Did you know after Tom Brady won the last Super Bowl, he said basically, I don't I, can't, I couldn't find the exact quote, but long and short, he said, I thought all these Super Bowls would bring me happiness, but it just hasn't. Took him seven Super Bowl rings to figure out, that's not going to do it. And I want to tell you something. If you're Bill Gates with millions, billions, and billions of dollars, and you've won all the Super Bowls, and you've done all these things, it's all empty without Jesus. Are you tired of status quo religion? Are you tired of just going through the motions? Are you on a journey for truth and meaning and substance? The wise men did. They didn't find Jesus instantly. Most scholars believe it took months, even years. Look, months and even years to find what they were looking for. What about you? Will you continue to pursue and seek Jesus even if he doesn't let you find him at first? Even if you don't have instant gratification. Even if you pray for two minutes and say, well, Jesus didn't show up. I guess I'm going on about my day. Travel conditions were horrible. Bad weather. A terrible terrain of desert. Robbery. All on a camel. What about you? Will you continue to seek God and Christ even when life gets tough? Will you continue to, to pursue Jesus even when things don't go your way? With the loss of someone you love, with a bad doctor's report, with a, with, a, with a bill collector saying we're going to take back the car. Will you continue to say, I am going after Jesus? The only assurance, listen, that they had at all. They didn't have, we have the Bible, we see the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. The only thing they had was a star. We have followed his star. 
They didn't have a prophecy, maybe Balaam's. They didn't have anything to say, hey, you're going to find him in Bethlehem. They didn't have anything other than a star was the only assurance. Listen, your only assurance, maybe you possess one word from God. Maybe all you've got to hang on to is a scripture. For me, all year long, I've been hanging on. Last January, God gave me Genesis 26, 22, and he said, you've got a Rehoboth coming. And then in the summer, he gave me Isaiah 54, 1 through 5. And that is, hey, get ready. Enlarge the place of your tents because you're going to burst open. You're going to burst forth to the right and to the left. And maybe, maybe it's dark times for you. Maybe you're in a place in your life and you say, I don't have anything. Just hold on to what you've got. Woo, somebody say Amen. Will you continue to seek Jesus if all you have is a scripture? All you have is a word from God. Pastor, that's all I got. Praise God you got that. They probably even wondered. Halfway there, I'm sure one of them said, man, what are we even doing? What what are we doing? Don't, Don't you know? It was eight to nine hundred miles from where they lived to Jerusalem. Eight to 900 miles, not by plane, not by car, not by train, on a camel. And here's another misnomer. It wasn't three wise men. It was a whole caravan of people. They had to have security. They had to have protection. They had servants and attendants. They had, it was an entourage of people. It wasn't just three. We think three because gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it was more likely way more than that. Let me ask you something. Will you continue to seek God even if it seems you are never going to obtain your promise? They did what they knew to do. They made it to Jerusalem, which was church headquarters. I could see them now as they rolled into town. Boys, we've made it. We have found church headquarters. They searched using logic, but logic led them to the wrong place. You cannot use logic and human reasoning to find Jesus in your life. You have to use the Holy Spirit to lead you to him. In this story, the star represents the Holy Spirit leading them where they could find Jesus. Listen, wise men weren't content with church headquarters. They didn't go to find church friends. They didn't go to find business contacts. They didn't go to become a member. Their goal was one and in the same. That is find Jesus and worship him. Man, I'm going to preach. Don't let logic, don't let human reasoning, don't let contentment rob you of finding Jesus Christ. Go after him. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. They went as far as they could on their own, but in order for them to find them, they had to go a little bit further, six or seven miles more. What a tragedy it would have been to go eight to nine hundred miles and stop six or seven miles short. What a tragedy it would be for Bridge of Hope to go four and a half years wandering in the desert only to stop short a month before our breakthrough, a week before our Rehoboth, a two months before we see breakthrough. We're not quitting now. We're not giving up now. We're going to keep on going. When you've done all you know to do, that's when you let the star of God lead you. What I mean by that is the Holy Spirit. When you don't know where else to turn, you've done all you know to do. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that leads me to the last point. I'm almost done. 
Number three, you will find Jesus. <laughs> Everybody shout, I will find him. Verse 10 said they saw the star leading in the direction. Listen, when they saw the star stopped over, your Bible says they were exceedingly joyful. As a matter of fact, it says they rejoiced. That word rejoice means cheerful and glad. They had some Christmas cheer. It says they had exceeding great joy. That means joy and guess what? Cheerfulness. They were happy because they found Jesus. Woo! Finding Jesus will always lead to Christmas cheer. As a matter of fact, if he's not the center of what you seek, you won't find real cheer in life. But if starting right now, you seek him with everything you've got, guess what? I promise you, you will find Christmas cheer this Christmas season. Woo! Somebody say amen. Have you ever longed for God's direction and when he gave it? He gave that fresh, that when he gave it to you, that fresh word of encouragement came on you and you got excited or joyful. Have you ever had one word from God and it lasted and lasted and you were thankful for it, but then he gave you a fresh word and it brought joy and cheer? That's what was happening here. And so verse 11, when the wise men gave the best when they found Jesus, what did they do when they found Jesus? The Bible says the first thing they did was worship him. I'm going to talk at length about the gifts next week. But the first thing they did was give themselves. I want to tell you, what Jesus is after more than anything else is for you to give yourself to him. Then they opened their treasures, gold, frankincense, myrrh. We'll talk about that next week. But those were highly valuable items. They didn't try to offer Jesus a second-rate sacrifice. They gave what they had, and they gave what was valuable to them. They withheld nothing from him. They'd come too far for that to happen. What about you? Are you offering Jesus what you have? Are you offering Jesus what's valuable to you? Are you withholding something from Jesus? Because you've come too far in your walk with God to do that now. The last thing I'll say is verse 12. The Bible says, they came in one way, listen, but they left another. One encounter with Jesus Christ, even as a baby, will send you down a whole other path in life. <laughs> I want to tell you something. When you really encounter Jesus, nobody who ever did ever walked the same way again. They found Jesus and he took them in a different direction. Their encounter with Christ changed them and altered their way and their path in life. If your religion hasn't changed you, you need a new religion. Because if you find Jesus, he'll change you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes?